If it all goes tits up, it's been a great ride. Let us flip to page 114. In your hymn books. <laughs> that doesn't make you Gandhi, it just makes you an adult. <laughs> if human history is a day, we only started eating meat at 10 to midnight. You're not going to fix the climate crisis if you don't want to get sad. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get sad to get happy. It's called therapy. <laughs> we're all, we're all disgusting. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to feel really stressful. <laughs> why do I do this to myself? What was that? Like, why is Spider-Man telling me to drink milk? Hello and welcome back to my channel. If you haven't been here before, my name is Lena and I am ridiculous. Today I'm starting a new series because who can stop me? Nobody. I really love reading and uh, I really struggle to talk about the climate crisis. One of the issues is that I feel like when somebody tells me there's going to be no life in the future, like life might die. I brain can't compute. No, shut down, not happening. But if somebody says there won't be reading in the future, there was gonna, gonna be no books. Somehow that makes my brain panic in the way that it should be panicking about bigger things. So in the interests of, of using the small and potentially insignificant to talk about bigger issues, I am starting this series called No Books on a Dead Planet, uh, where I am inviting people onto the channel to chat to me about one book, on the climate crisis, a book that you might be scared to read and scared to have a conversation around those kind of really squirming conversations that are really scary to have with your friends. And we're gonna read those books for you, have that conversation for you in the hopes that maybe afterwards you will pick up that book or have that conversation or at least come away uh, knowing a little bit more about the horizon and the many kind of sliding doors <laughs> options that might be coming for us all. The aim is to have fun too, so this is gonna be a relaxed conversation. And obviously, for a fun, relaxed, intellectual, completely chaotic conversation, the only obvious first guest had to be Ariel Bissett. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Lena. I'm very excited to be on the pilot of your newest show. <laughs> was this evil genius rubbing of the hands like Because <laughs> I snuck my way back in, ladies and gentlemen, and here everyone else, we're here. <laughs> Don't leave your back doors open. You never know who's gonna come through. Um, so Ariel is an incredible person, Ovs. Um, she also has a YouTube channel that is BookTube, but also she's renovating her ancient and amazing haunted house. <laughs> so definitely check that out. Only mildly um, haunted. <laughs> But yeah, uh, but as I've done something very dangerous today and I have asked probably one of my best friends in the world to read one of my favorite books in the world. Now this can always go wrong. Yeah. And I actually haven't talked to Ariel about what she's thought of the book. No. <laughs> so I'm really being vulnerable here. <laughs> and um, we're gonna find out now what Ariel thinks of the book. Um, this book is, um, well, I'm gonna get more into it when we get into the questions, but this book is one that I chat everybody's ears off about all the time. So if you haven't been to the channel before, this might be new to you, but for most of you, you'll be rolling your eyes to the back of your head because you'll be like, fucking hell, Lena, yeah, we get it. Read We Are The Weather. Uh, but the book we're gonna be chanting about is We Are The Weather by Jonathan Safran Foa. Um, what's interesting about this book is that he, Jonathan Safran Foa is not a scientist. He's not even really a non-fiction writer. He's mainly a fiction writer, but he's written a non-fiction book about the climate. Uh, and it's one that I read a couple of years ago and it changed my life which is which is again vulnerable to say because other people have picked it up and thought what a pile of shit but that's the way with books isn't it that is the way with books yeah. um so ariel thank you so much um for reading the book and we're gonna get on to chatting about the book in a second but first there's a question that i wanted to ask you which is just how often do you have conversations about mm. the climate crisis in your life and how do you feel about that statistic if we're going to call it that because i it's something that I, I think we talk about a little bit. Yes. Um, 
but it's not something that I find comes up naturally in a lot of conversations. And I wanted to hear from your perspective, like how often do you have those kind of conversations and how do you feel about that? That's a really interesting question because you had, in fact, sent it to me before we recorded. <laughs> and I, it, it actually made me pause. I had to pause and kind of consider, wait, you're right. How often do I actually have conversations about climate change? Because that is actually quite different than how often do I think about climate change? And upon reflection, I've realized most of the conversations I have about climate change are with myself. Uh, something that Mr. Jonathan Stafford Forer seems to be doing as well in the later <laughs> half of the book. But I realized that a lot of a lot of the, the things I'm thinking about, the, the paths I'm trying to navigate and the actions I'm trying to decide uh, like what to do about, those are all things that I've been doing with myself. And mm-hmm. I definitely talk about it with friends, but I don't talk about it very often with other people. And I think it's because it's, A, a very stressful conversation. It usually just devolves into depression, right? Like, it's not even anger. It's not a party conversation, is it? No, no. Sometimes it, like, devolves into anger. Um, Usually not at anyone, just kind of at the situation at large, which is kind of unhelpful. Um, Or it it devolves into, like, sadness. And you're just like, well, I don't really want to to make my friends sad or me sad and like we're all on our own journeys so <laughs> um but but that is maybe one of the points of the book like even if these are difficult conversations we can't shy away from them so it actually is part of the reason I'm really excited about this series overall Lena because it's gonna feel like your videos are so good at doing this but like it's gonna feel like having a lot of discussions and a lot of conversations um helped by clever people writing clever books so I don't uh, that just that answered the question <laughs> yeah definitely I think yeah it's interesting what you say because I think again I I actually when I was looking at my answers to the questions I wrote down like I have imaginary conversations with podcast hosts about the climate crisis all the yeah, time yeah there you go so we're but doing then, the same thing we're just yeah kind of, we feel like we're having conversations but I guess more it's consuming media yeah we're overhearing conversations and stuff and I think it's it's again it's interesting because it feels like such a serious topic that mm. it feels unbringable because you, yeah. you, you're you basically ruining somebody else's day. <laughs> but yeah, then well, at the it's same time... Similarly, would you bring up religion? It, oh, right? I mean, you're asking How? the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, no, I'm, you're true. You're right. But like, you know what I mean? Like, would you say to someone, how often do you talk about religion with your friends? I'm like, mm. I don't. <laughs> I never do, right? Because it's all it's going to do is bring up dark memories of people's mm. childhoods and like, it's just going to be stressful. So like, you just don't. But I guess one thing that is different about, what is that saying? Like, don't bring up politics, religion, or money. Like the, yeah, which is an interesting, <laughs> at the Christmas table, yeah. Mm. It's an interesting concept because often if you're with friends that you truly can trust and talk about or with family that you that are your friends those will often be the most interesting conversations right like philosophies around how you live your life but I guess one thing that's different about climate change is that it isn't just this personal decision Mm. whereas a lot of the time it's like oh well like my financial situation is my private financial situation and and I don't want to discuss that with others it's like well actually your diet does affect me and it does affect other people so that is an interesting difference 
Yeah, it's not a kind of isolated thing that you can ask somebody else's advice on and then yeah. they can be like, oh, this is what you should do about your boyfriend. It's like, no, this is, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's like something that is so intertwined that you can't talk about your own behavior without accidentally talking about other people's behavior. Yeah. And that's what's super awkward. <laughs> um, the thing about this book, so the the other thing I was wanted to talk about is like our first impressions of the book before we read it. Now, obviously you, you can probably remember yours a lot more vividly. <laughs> Ish. I actually it's funny because I bought this book like five years ago I mean I guess I don't know exactly when yeah it came when I out. asked you about it you turned around and you were like I have it it's over there <laughs> yeah I bought it and I have it in hardcover too which is a problem with me I, I, I not anymore I'm a reformed hardcover buyer okay in okay. 2021 I did a challenge that I would only buy a hardcover if I was actually going to read it that month. And it meant yeah. I bought like five hardcovers. Well, there was a bit more than that. But I, either I read them or I felt guilty. So it was perfect. Um, no, I think the book came out in 2019. So I guess that's not as long ago as I thought. But I did buy it the year it came out because I remember hearing people talking about it and being like, mm. this is really interesting. But also, I guess I didn't even let you fully finish asking the question. But I also <laughs> own Eating Animals. A book I read a quarter of this is also a problem ariel has <laughs> i all... is a general this isn't this book specific this is just no, generally i just i start so many books and then i don't finish them i don't know i have the same thing but I, I don't think... care about it i don't feel any guilt about it it just bothers a lot of other readers they're like oh, why would you not have finished that book i'm like i don't know i guess i wasn't reading it at the right time but this was a really interesting read and here's what's funny this is very specifically about eating animals so it's you've read fact. that one no, I only okay. read a quarter of this. Oh, one. this is the okay. And it was so depressing and scary. I got to the section on fish, and I was like, "Oh, geez, okay, I'm gonna take a little break on that one." And then he comes out with this book, which is kind of seems from the marketing to be more in general about the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. So I was like, "Okay, maybe that's my first book of his, and then I can go more deep into the eating animals." This is just eating animals part two. So uh, page sixty-two, he's like. So for the last 62 pages, I haven't been admitting to you what this book is actually about, which is yeah. actually about, still about eating animals. <laughs> it's still eating animals. Um, I just so wanted the, to keep writing about eating the, animals. <laughs> the interesting kind of genesis story of the book, before I talk about how I discovered it, um, is that eating animals is like a prolific book about being vegetarian or being vegan. And it's often the book that a lot of people quoted to me when they I said, why did you become vegetarian? And they'd be like, I obviously read the book by Jonathan Safran Foe. And I'm like, okay, cool. So it's like kind of like one of those seminal texts that again, I was also avoiding because I was like, Obviously, if I read this book, like all of these people that I know that are more intelligent than I respect a lot have read it and changed their mind. So if I read this book, I'll change my mind and therefore I'm going to have to do something about it. And I'm really not in the mood to do that right now. So I'm not going to read it. <laughs> Um, and then I was sent this book actually at work oh. when it came out in January 2019, it must have been. Okay. And it sat under my desk for a whole freaking year. Hell yeah. <laughs> for a whole year. Yeah. Every morning I'd come into work and it would be sitting like under my desk, like on the floor. And I'd look at it and be like, not today. <laughs> not today. <laughs> Um, and then just before the pandemic, I actually read it because like, I found it an audiobook and I was li like oh. finding, tr looking for an audiobook that was shorter, that had like a really good reader and he reads it himself and he has quite a nice voice. So I ended up listening to it and um, yeah, I mean, subsequently, subsequently for me, uh, that's, that was the reason I gave up eating animals. 
<laughs> um, nailed it. A bit of dairy. <laughs> N- nailed it. But um, it unfortunately, I was correct. And that is why I put it off for so long, which is so silly. Because I even got this book for free. Like, it was just every day it looked at me in the face. And I was like, oh. It's kind of like, you know, you have like a pile in your house of like papers that you, one day you're going to sort out and file. <sighs> and, and you every day yeah. you look at it and then you just stop seeing it because you're like, oh, that's just part yeah. of my life now. <laughs> that's my pile <laughs> yeah exactly that, you see it though you only on the on the video you can only see part of my book pile that's only part of the pile i need to read <laughs> i think that's really interesting and i'm i think that he'd be really excited that it actually did make you a vegetarian so wait are you saying this one made you a vegetarian not this one it didn't i even haven't take, read that one it didn't even take eating animals part one you just skipped to the sequel <laughs> yeah, I've realised what I didn't say it was the genesis story of this book for Jonathan Safran is He wrote that book like 10, must be 15 years ago now. And yeah. he toured that book around the world. It was really successful. It obviously changed a lot of people's minds. Um, and he was like, as to be honest, as I was touring that book and as other things started happening in my life and I went through like grief and stuff like that, I'd mm. travel between these events and I'd eat animals i'd I'd eat animals for comfort i would be in a in a in a airport and feel depressed and buy a burger and that is what i have been doing Mm. so i now want to write a book reflecting on that experience of having toured a book and advocated for animal rights and for climate crisis stuff and lived a contradiction and not been perfect and felt shame and embarrassment so i'd say this book is kind of about eating animals but it's also kind of about shame and resistance and like be like knowing something mm. but not believing it and and the kind of contradictions of that yeah what did you think about it after you've read it like you can tell me you can tell me the <laughs> truth Ariel. i won't be hurt like would you recommend this to somebody else okay i'll just rip off this band-aid it's okay it. it's okay i liked it but i did not love it that's and okay that is, that's my truth i have that's to live in my truth <laughs> i still love you i still love the series um and again, not to literally, Lena did not ask me in any way to praise this series or hype up the series. But one of the reasons I'm so excited about this like book club, basically, um, are you calling it a book club? It's basically a book club, right? But, but there's no pre- You can be in the club if you don't read any of the books. Right. That's so maybe the I concept. shouldn't call it a book club because book club has uh, like chat- hesitation. such thing as a chat club. I think chat it should be a club. chat club. Yes. Um, conversation club. Part mm. of the reason I'm really excited about this is because I don't think that... Well, I I definitely don't think that we have the book on climate change Mm. yet because otherwise it would come to mind, right? Like we would be like, oh, well, obviously the book on climate change is like maybe we know the documentary on climate change is an inconvenient truth. Like it's like the Mm. the granddad one. But like I don't think we have the book on climate change yet. And here's here's my problem. Not problem, but like here's a problem. Okay. Climate change is so complicated and is going to take so many different solutions that I don't think there is going to be a book mm. that fixes it or is the book or is enough because we're there's so many different aspects. Yeah. So Jonathan Safran Foer's book is very much about eating animals. It's about like how your a shift in your diet can make a giant impact. Do I believe that that is true? Yes. And interestingly enough, okay, so this is funny. I studied abroad in 2015 when I was 20. Mm-hmm. And when I was over there, I was in England. And when I was over there in London and in Birmingham, everyone thought I was a vegetarian. 
everyone i don't Try, know if you why. just get a nose ring it's very easy <laughs> just, as but soon as i got my nose pierced everyone was like oh sorry didn't mean to put that sausage in you yeah exactly but i was like i didn't have a nose ring i just yeah. maybe it's the long hair something about my the way i the dress free like, attitude yeah people were like oh you must be vegetarian like people would literally be like ariel i i think the restaurant we're going to has vegetarian options i'm like why do people keep asking me this <laughs> and i, I hope like, you enjoy those options i was like i don't care like it's fine whatever so i very much wasn't a vegetarian even though people thought i was a vegetarian until a few years later but it was kind of funny i think it was because people thought i was one that i started thinking maybe i'm supposed to be one like then i started kind of looking into it and it was actually climate change that made me become a vegetarian mm. and over the last two years because of covid um and this is partly what he talks about in this book and definitely what he talks about in this book because this book is largely about like the cultural impact of food mm -hmm. um more so than we are the weather part of what he is saying is like there's so much cultural attachment to how we eat and how it affects our lives and how our daily lives impact the kinds of things that we're eating so I now that like the pandemic is happening and I'm living at home and I don't go out and my parents are here and my brother's here and my boyfriend's here they all eat meat mm -hmm. so inevitably it started to creep back into my diet because it was like okay we made dinner and I'm like I'm not gonna make a whole separate dinner. yeah because it's like you said it's a shared decision it's right not, it's not like oh I do this and you do that like it, it's so hard to maintain something like that isn't it yeah so I think that's really interesting but I had a couple problems with the book and I don't want to, I don't know if it's good to start with the problems because there were a lot of things we liked, but we are about to go into a lot of the good parts about it. So maybe I'll just preface with the Adam. reasons why okay. it didn't work for me a hundred percent. Why I didn't get to my like a range. Number one, so much anger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt Jonathan Safran Foer being so angry throughout the entire book that it made it a little hard to read for me. Yeah. But that felt, and I this is part of the reason I wanted to bring this up, it feels like a personal reason that I didn't enjoy the book. Because mm. I know that some people would read it and feel like relieved that somebody else is as angry as they are or yeah. feel relieved or, or find it motivating, you mm. know, like a rallying cry. This is not the kind of rallying cry that's going to work for me because I'm already stressed about it. Mm. <laughs> I'm already worried. And so I want somebody to like take my hand and say, all right, here's what we need to do. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to him being like, I keep eating meat. <laughs> I think like um it's kind of cathartic for me because I'm also like I also so I it was and also I made a note in my book because this is actually the first time I've read the physical book mm. I've, I've listened to it in audio like maybe three or four times yeah but I like wrote in my notes I was like oh in the first half of the book it kind of feels like I'm being told off yeah and I didn't experience that in the audiobook at all. Like it was really like the way he reads it is That's quite meditative. Like it felt really reflective and calming. But when you read it on the page, it does feel a little bit like a telling off. It <laughs> felt like, to me so like he was, was angry, like, oh. but he's like not only angry at me, he's also really furious at himself. So it's not like he's only pointing the finger at us and he's like, ah, all of your readers, you're terrible. You're all terrible. Um, but no, he was like, we're all, we're all disgusting. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to feel really stressed out. The other thing you just mentioned, page 63. 
And it's funny because I have written page 63 as one of my main problems with this book. Okay, here we go. Page 63. You've now read 62 pages of this book, right? You get to page 63 and he says, this is a book about the impacts of animal agriculture on the environment. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, but you didn't talk about that at all in the first 62 pages. And so it was for me emblematic of this larger thesis problem I felt he had. I think maybe Eating Animals is a more direct book where Mm. he's like, I have obviously it's called Eating Animals, a very specific problem that I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about it from a bunch of different angles. This one's a little bit more memoiry, like his life after eating animals. And do you know what I mean? And so I, I was like, I feel like this book could be half as long and more specific and more action based and less about Jonathan Safran Foer's feelings and more about his thesis, which is an interesting thesis, animal agriculture. But like it took him 62 pages to even mention it for the first. Literally, Lena, I wrote, I wrote what? I don't know if you can see <laughs> yeah, that, but I just wrote M. what? Um, but I think one of the point, I don't know if it's translated, but maybe it's just, it doesn't help it for you. But for, for me, like that was the point he was making that he was like, see, isn't it easy to talk about climate change without talking about the cause of climate change? And this is what Al Gore mm. did in An Uncomfortable Truth. Like he didn't mention food, even though all of the science pointed to food. Alcohol was yeah. like, can't mention food. <laughs> um, well, no, because that, that will put people off. Lobbying and the government. So I guess to me, it's probably like, and I get it's a tactic, but I get why he, in the same way that if you give your, like your pet a pill and it doesn't take it, you put it in a cube of cheese and then you give it to him. And he's like, yes. I will take the pill now. This is the, yes. this, the first book is, is the pill. And the second book is the pill wrapped in cheese. <laughs> and i ate it up i ate the cheese ironically cheese i love that but he gives you four things he says has have have less children give up your car stop eating animals and i forget the other one but yeah it was his main piece of advice is like cut out meat for breakfast and lunch yeah like if you can do that you're cutting down two-thirds of your consumption of meat and like just only eat meet at dinner let's now shift in then yeah parts i did like because i did like loads (laughs) yeah i think i think for me like that's like the stuff that didn't work for you is ironically like what made it work for me like i had this and this is why we we just need everybody because we need to read lots of different things because not everyone is motivated by the same things it's kind of like you would approve of somebody like like there are people in my life that are dating people that i completely approve of and i'm like oh what a great person like so glad you're dating them i would not personally date them Yes. And they're very different. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's the same. It's like finding stuff that works for everybody. But what he's talking about, he, he purposely was like, I don't want to write a book of facts and I don't want to write a journalistic article. I want to write mm. something more literary from the heart about the problems that I think are at the heart of the why we don't, why we won't stop eating animals and why we won't stop, why, why we don't want to save ourselves and the implications of suicide and stuff. So I really liked it because it, it actually kind of focused on this idea of, of genocide and suicide and like yeah the, it, the, that was a really big theme i thought that was an interesting theme mm. but for me it was such a despairing theme <laughs> yeah it just felt really sad yeah i think People are getting, it's, I, it's, I can already imagine the comments are like ariel you're not gonna fix the climate crisis if you don't want to get sad <laughs> <laughs> like gotta get sad to get happy it's called therapy <laughs> well okay i have another question though because like mm-hmm. he said something did i write down the page i definitely wrote down the page somewhere but 
he talks about how oh page 14 well that was early on but he talks about how to his knowledge or like so far revealingly the fate of our planet occupies an even smaller place in literature than it does in the broader cultural conversation Mm. so he's talking about how there isn't very many novels or writers writing about climate change and obviously this was written a couple of years ago more and more is definitely happening like we're seeing more and more climate fiction and etc and and like also nonfiction. but i do think it's really interesting so i wanted to ask you and i think this is probably going to be a theme for you throughout this series that you're filming but like have you found that books are the best way to motivate you to make climate action or have like you said this turned you into vegetarian yeah so maybe it is or have you found documentary or have you found podcast or have you found that it needs to be a mixture of all three i think but then this is the kind of person i am i think that books have a bigger impact on me in general whatever the topic is because Mm. i can take them at my own pace and i carry them around with me in my day and yeah um, it's also a chance to like learn in private like nobody's nobody's there with me and it's it's a thing that i can reflect on in my own time so i think books have a big impact and also because they're usually way better referenced and way less sensationalized than than documentaries documentaries are cool but i watched the al gore documentary when it came out i think i was like 20 (laughs) and i watched that and i was sad and i cried and then I went to sleep and I got up the next day and I got on with my freaking day and I probably had a chicken sandwich. Do you know what I mean? Like I didn't, I can't like that. There's a very short amount of time to spend with an idea and they're often quite impersonal because they're made by loads of people. Whereas a book mm. that's usually made by one person, it feels like, you know, like sometimes I've changed my mind about stuff because one person that I care about has told me about how they feel about it. And that feels yeah. like a bigger impact than having a group of people tell you lots of snippets of things. Yeah. You know, sometimes sitting down and listening to one person's thoughts and experiences like changes my mind faster yeah. than like a than a documentary. Not to say anything wrong with documentaries. No, but I think but this is exactly what I'm talking about. You, we all need to find within books like the book that works for you yeah. and motivated you. Mm. But then within other forms of media, for me, for example. So far, the piece of media that has made the biggest impact to me, the fastest, the most, like, indelibly, has been the documentary The True Cost. Mm. Yeah. So I watched that many years ago. It might have been 2015, 2016. Many years ago, I watched this documentary, which is about the the world of fast fashion. Not only its impact on people and people's working conditions, but mainly, like it's con- like how it impacts the environment and how we all need to think of the clothing that we wear as like permanent things that now exist in the universe and like mm. you don't throw you don't throw them away or donate them and then they're gone yeah no like where are they now and how does fast fashion work and like how are these clothes actually made there were so many moments throughout that that were eye-opening yeah like genuinely and i think that might be part of it like they were things i didn't know like i must emphasize i did not know i didn't know about all of the inks that were just poured into the rivers right i didn't know about all of these giant landfills just full of clothing i didn't know about um i don't know how certain fibers don't break down and like x y z or like there was an interesting history. I remember this history section, and I've only seen it once, so it's amazing how yeah, much I remember about, a lot. about it. 
But like, I remember the section it had showing how like trend cycles used to not exist in fashion. Mm. And then they started being like, okay, yeah, there's two like seasons in a year. It was like the warm clothing and the cold clothing. And then it started becoming a seasonal thing. Four, four times a year, like stores would get new clothing. And now it's like literally weekly. Yeah. Where H&M and Forever 21 are weekly bringing in new clothing. The impact that that made on me was unbelievable. Basically, I didn't buy any new clothes for like four months. Yeah. I was like, six, maybe six months. I was like, I don't, I don't even know what to do. I, it was kind of a crisis in a good way. I was like, okay, wow. I just have all of this information and I can no longer, I can no longer live my life the way I had been living it before because now I have this new information. What is the new way I'm going to live my life? So then I started finding like brands that are super ethical um, and I found like this really cool one called Frank and Oak that's Canadian. And so I was like, even better because they don't have to ship that far. <laughs> and so I started only buying clothes from Frank and Oak for like a year. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is really expensive. So then I started thrifting. And like, I, I actually today wore this sweater, which is one of my best thrift finds ever. <laughs> look at, look at the embroidery so detail. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so that mm, documentary made such a giant impact on me and i think i've been searching for a book on climate change that does that for me mm. ever since yeah um i didn't mean to go on such a rant about that but <laughs> no but i, I know it's the thing that is like something will click for you and you don't know what it is but something something yeah and it's it's different for everybody and i think again with with fast fashion it's actually kind of helpful to see all of that visually but then with mm. the climate crisis, the problem it, for me is that it's impossible to represent visually. And if we try with a polar bear, it's kind of irrelevant. And uh, we're all already numb yeah. to those kind of images. And also just stuff like, oh, um, what's the, the fact that I wrote down that was like, um, if human history is a day, we only started eating meat at 10 to midnight. <laughs> like, Amazing. Do you know what I mean? But if you were trying to visualize... Yeah the whole of human history in a documentary I would either involve a lot of like embarrassing stock footage or like a bad cartoon of like a man walking upright or do you know what I mean but just a sentence that's like yeah. here's the clock here, this is human history at 10 to midnight we started eating meat and that's oh, right. that's how long we've been eating meat not that freaking long yeah. do you know what I mean like so I think it's it depends now you're speaking about it it makes me think like I think it depends on the topic and the book yeah yeah so I, I like you had asked me to prepare yes <laughs> some quotes images or or facts that really stood out to me mm -hmm. and there were a couple that I'm still absolutely thinking about so let let us flip to page 114 <laughs> in your hymn books please <laughs> a quick line here but it says Many have attributed the rise of the environmental movement to those first photographs of earth mm. some credit the planet's apparent fragility in the images alone unsupported and suspended in black for inspiring a collective desire to protect it so this whole kind of section was just something i'd never thought about mm. i'd never thought about how of course for most of like for most <laughs> underlined most of human history we didn't actually know what earth looked like yeah because we have my whole life, right? My whole life, we've had photos of the earth and of the moon and, and et cetera, et cetera. So 
it doesn't it didn't it hasn't in my own life made that big of an impact but reading this kind of pulled me out of my own life a little bit and I was like yeah you're right like in the grand scheme of things we didn't even know we were this little planet we didn't even know what we looked like we didn't even know that we were blue and green you know what I mean like it's such a beautiful powerful image and it really did make me pause to think I think it is in this book unless I'm thinking about a different book but I really think it was in this book that he talks about how how incredibly bad we are at passing information down for for generations Mm. so it's sort of like our grandparents were like dealing with some issue and then they're kids might have dealt with the impacts of that a little bit but then they're not going to pass it down to us yeah and and so we have this small memory it's like this really small memory of human existence and so we keep repeating mistakes or not learning from the past and this was one of those moments where i was like oh that really pulled me into the past in a cool way yeah and it also made me think about like um because the at the same time when they talk about the, the earth like the first images of the earth they also t- yeah. he also talks about the first mirrors like it didn't occur to me that people didn't have mirrors until like the 1400s so people yeah. didn't know what they looked like so people had no yeah. sense of self-reflection or like this this kind of like being able to step out of yourself and look at and and conceptualize like what i actually made me feel like human history is quite new and um you know if it all goes tits up it's been a great ride <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's dark but like do you know what i mean it's that thing of like no, sometimes we true. talk about saving the planet when actually we're just talking about saving a very small section of the earth's history which is our history and our mm-hmm. like our opportunity to live on it which is mm-hmm. kind of like both sad and quite relaxing for me in a weird way like to think like this is all quite new we're yeah. we're we're all and i think also that like there's parts of it that, that helped me to think about like human evil because you were talking about how it's like mm. things don't get passed down like humans are quite shoddy like it's i don't think that most humans are inherently evil they're just like chaos like chaotic and the <laughs> fact that you don't pass on like like generational wisdom a lot of the time or there's this there's, yeah. this repeating patterns in history that rhyme and 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 like also the, he had this idea about like how we all get out of the way for an ambulance and we don't really think about it but if you hear an ambulance coming everybody turns off the road and that's not because like yeah. we're inherently making a moral decision in the moment or that like we're we're like amazing or or good it's just that like that's what you do <laughs> and i think yeah we're, we're so like we're just we're, we're kind of these innocent but also horrific like little animals that wander around like <laughs> repeating patterns and eating and <laughs> do you know what yeah I mean? no 100 percent. um one thing we haven't kind of talked about is the structure of the book mm. so the first let's call it quarters but that's not even accurate yeah. at all the first quarter of the book is a little bit memoiry and he's talking a little bit about his past book and he's talking about his own relationship to food and how his grandmother is passing away and like all of these interesting things that relate to his experience of climate change right now then the second quarter of the book it's not even a quarter but this is this is so inaccurate the second section of the book is facts yes like they're literally just bullet point facts that was probably my favorite section of the book. That's so interesting because I think that's my least favorite section of the book. <laughs> I loved it. I was like, give me the cold hard facts. <laughs> and there's some fascinating Sorry. facts here. Like, So I love this one. In America, one out of every five meals is eaten in a car. Fucking hell. <laughs> but that is useful. Yeah. That's useful because I'm thinking about that and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I definitely, and obviously this is pre-pandemic, right? Mm. So before we weren't really going out as much, but um, 
I'm thinking about like, okay, well, it's true. If this is a thing, we need better vegetarian options at drive throughs Yeah. Like we need them because that is where people are eating, right? Whether we and like it so, or not, like that's where... That's where people are eating. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It just matters that it's happening. And so we adapt to that change. And like, I almost exclusively eat at A&W mm-hmm. if I'm going to a fast food place because they're the only ones in Canada that offer a vegetarian burger. Like it's a Beyond Meat patty or whatever. So I was like, yeah. And so they've bought my business. Yeah. I'm like, you know, that whole concept of like supporting with your dollars mm-hmm. on the next page. There's, I love this other fact too. Nine out of the 10 warmest years on record have occurred since the first YouTube video <laughs> in 2000. I've forgotten that one. <laughs> since the one about ah. the zoo, ironically. Yeah. Also, it was about animals. Me at the zoo. Yeah. That was the name of the video. I loved this section because I found it. I don't know. I guess I found it separate from his life. And so for me, it was, I was able to link it to my life mm. a little bit more. Oh, you kind of asked about this, but like, I think maybe we'll get into it. But basically he does have a very different li- life than us. Yes. Right? Yeah. He's, I think I pointed you, out. You that, should ask me. Yeah. Well, let's go into that. It's okay. It's okay. But, 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 you know, he's, he's, the problem with one, once people are successful, they, they still recording their life, which they should do, but it becomes yeah. like, you know somebody who's who's a world-renowned best-selling author and is traveling around the world all the time yeah it's not us and also you know he's he's very much rooting in his own experience which is really useful and he's like jewish american and he talks about um his grandma escaping um uh the nazis and like her journey doing that and this this idea of like trying to save yourself and not being able to compute what is coming but acting anyway um and Mm. then also like i was just like he's a dude (laughs) he's my so he probably i'm just I'm only guessing probably doesn't have all of the like sexist things to do with food choices and Mm. like inherent trauma collectively around being told that like you shouldn't eat this and you should eat that. And like, do you know what I mean? Like he wasn't, you know what I think about a lot? Yeah. Men never order salads. I know. That's very confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Fragile masculinity. But like, well, yes, exactly. And it's gonna, and so what you're saying is actually really relevant to this specific conversation. Mm. Like if we need to eat more plant-based meals, a very easy plant-based meal is a salad. Uh, Salads don't have to suck. Salads are great, right? Mm -hmm. But like, if you're a man and you feel like eating a salad is like a feminine meal, you're not going to eat them. And so it makes it that much more difficult for you to avoid meat. Yeah. So like you're saying, like, that is interesting. There's a really interesting podcast that I'm going to link below about masculinity and meat and all about Mm. how um, it feels emasculating to not eat meat because it's this illusion that you've killed it. And like, it's part of your like hunting (laughs) process. Like it's crazy. And this, and there's also this, this numbing around like, oh, I can hurt other things because that's what makes me a man. Um, Yeah. So, so I think like there's, there's really interesting stuff around like that. And I think also just like, just, he, you know, he's, he's from the USA. And we, neither of us are. Yeah. And he, a no. lot of the the facts that he quotes are USA based. And some of them I want to believe aren't true in the UK, but could totally <laughs> be true. Like one in five people eat in their cars. I can't really say either way. Maybe in the UK, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody told know, me that was though, true yeah. or if it was false. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think culturally our relationship with food is, is probably different. Um, I think it's a really interesting point. Now I was glad that you kind of, wanted to 
just discuss that a little bit because mm-hmm. there were a couple of things in here that I was like, yeah, I think that's interesting. I think that's cool, but it doesn't really reflect or map onto my existence yeah. very well. A big part of this is something interesting that I'm struggling with, mm-hmm. Lena. <laughs> Everyone keeps screaming at me to not drive a car. Yeah. I get that. But they all live in New York or London. (laughs) And I'm like, I'd love to take the train, but I live in the countryside, right? Like that piece of advice or that piece of actionable item is completely useless Mm -hmm. to this massive population of people who live rurally. And like genuinely, I can walk to a grocery store. It's about like probably a 35 minute walk just to get to the grocery store and then i'd have to carry all my groceries back on that walk so like i could figure that out maybe i could do like a bike thing not in the winter Mm. like i live in canada rurally in the winter it's like a miracle when the snow plow comes by right like you're like oh thank god they plowed the streets this time but like I think that there's a lot of stuff in here that is very New York based. And I'm like, oh man, I don't know how to get but rid I of think, my car. Again, like not to be like, in defense of Jonathan. No, <laughs> but you like, should be. It, what was interesting, he was like, here are the four things that will probably help the planet. Um, yeah. But I re- like the reason I've picked the animal thing is because loads of people can't choose whether they drive or not most people yes, aren't yes. aren't in the middle of deciding whether to have a kid or not because that's kind of like a once in a lifetime decision and i can't remember <laughs> what the other one was but like people choose to eat meat yeah. three times a day so like it's, it's yeah. what's the most regularly occurring decision that Absolutely. most people can and so change. i i agree yeah. and i think that's important because that is his main point mm. his main point is just don't eat meat and that is so actionable and i also really like that he kind of went there a little bit he, i was like oh yeah. he went there when he was like a lot of people talk about becoming vegetarian as elitist mm. and he's like this is why i don't believe that it is elitist yeah and like a lot of people say i can't become a vegetarian because it's like exorbitantly expensive it's more expensive and he's like this is why based on these statistics it isn't actually more expensive to yeah, eat healthy I think, yeah like a healthy diet and but he also isn't like you know this is gonna work for everyone he acknowledges food deserts and he acknowledges that there are low-income areas where this isn't pop possible and like there are you know areas where your only options are fast food yeah right like this is he's not kind of trying to throw everyone under the under the bus and be like you should all 100 percent be vegans but he is kind of acknowledging a lot of people use these as excuses. Yeah. They're like, oh, no, it's like really privileged of you to say that. He's like, no, it's not. Most people can do this. And oh, it's really expensive. He's like, no, it's not actually as expensive as you're saying it is. Like, don't use that as an excuse to prohibit you from taking this he important He talks about change. how there's like two, there's a meshing of two different statistics. So one statistic is it is it is more expensive for you to eat a healthy diet than it is for you to eat an unhealthy diet. Like, it's cheaper to eat an unhealthy diet. But... Yeah. If you're just comparing at any income level, vegetarian and non-vegetarian, then the vegetarian option is always cheaper. And they're two, it's how we're taught to read stats. (laughs) And they're like two different tables, basically. Right. It's really just to catch people up. Um, Yeah. And I think you're right. I think there's there's a frustrating, we won't get into this too much because it's a whole other podcast, a frustrating impulse online to, to read a statistic and think, oh, this proves that it's not accessible for everybody. Therefore, therefore I don't we have shouldn't to do, do it. it at all yeah. yeah and it's that thing of like no the whole point of privilege is you have it so use it 
point out that other people don't but it's just because something isn't universally applicable doesn't mean it's not mm, the majority can't action it you know yeah and like also it takes away this really important idea that is going to be and has been key to fighting climate change which is early adopters Mm. so a perfect example of this is solar panels yeah not every especially like 30 years ago it was very difficult to afford solar panels because they are extremely expensive not very many people are trained on how to install them so it's very expensive to hire those people like the entire process is very expensive it is not very expensive anymore it is probably expensive and it's probably like you know i haven't looked into it for my specific area yet um but like it is so much cheaper than it was and that is because there were enough early adopters who were like i'm willing to put up the cost because i believe in this technology because i know that it's important Mm. and so the idea of being like oh, I'm not going to become a vegetarian because, you know, not everyone can be a vegetarian. So it's like, that's a very privileged position. It's like, well, if most of us become vegetarian, the people that can afford it right now, then those, like all the restaurants around us will notice. They will start offering cheaper vegetarian options, which make it cheaper for everyone so that more people can become it, right? Like sometimes you can't just, yeah. Sometimes you have to be one of the first people to do it. I think a big cultural moment for me in the UK was um, Greg's making a vegan sausage roll because the sausage roll is a delicacy of, of the British public. It's it's sacred and, yeah. and it's incredibly cheap. So the idea that Greg's was like, we're just going all in on this vegan sausage roll and we're going to promote yeah. it and it's going to be a, like a staple. Like it, that was, it's a silly and insignificant and completely ridiculous, but like significant moment to me. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's like everybody's moments of significance and like all oh, things could change are different, but apparently vegan Greg sausage roll was my cultural <laughs> touch point that gave me hope again. <laughs> there was one other really big moment that kind of made an impact for me. And I think actually this is the one that maybe has made the biggest impact because it's the one I keep mentioning to people. So it's on page 42 for anyone reading along at home. 96% of American families gather for a Thanksgiving meal. Mm. I love this fact. Partly because it's beautiful to me that like an entire nation is doing a thing and it doesn't talk about like if they're celebrating thanksgiving it's just that they're gathering and i'm like okay that's really really interesting mm-hmm. and 96 percent, like even if that statistic is a little inflated for some reason i mean if it was 80 that would still be it would still be shocking to me interesting so i was like okay wow that's really fascinating and then that then there's a second quote a page later on page 45 that is almost even more important but it says While it is probably the case that if the celebration of Thanksgiving were legally enforced, fewer people would celebrate it, it is certainly the case that if the celebration of Thanksgiving were not facilitated by being a national holiday, fewer people would celebrate it. The collective action occurs because the structure encourages it. Our amorphous, unurgent emotions about Thanksgiving need a scaffolding. That for me is probably the most important line in the book. And I wished throughout that he had kind of gone back to talking a bit more about that because I thought it was so interesting that it is so important that we have individual action, especially when it comes to our diet, because it isn't something that the government can like force you to do. Like they can't with like um, 
They can ban cars. They can ban, like, uh, petrol cars. I said that for the British people out there. <laughs> petrol. Who do I think I am? Um, but they can, like, or encourage you to buy electric cars with grants or whatever. But they can't literally pick the food you eat. Mm. Right? However. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yet, it does need, like he said, a scaffolding. And I thought that was a really great use of that word. Like, we need both. Yeah. We, we need the individual action, but we also need the governmental action. And, and actually... I wish he talked about that a bit more. That kind of makes me feel like that's almost like a relaxing fact. Maybe not relaxing is a strong word. I find it relaxing. I find that one of the things that stops me talking about everything is because I'm like, we have to convince every single person. Every mm. person has to be an activist. We have to convert everybody when actually you're right, we need to focus on the scaffolding. And this idea, yeah. again, he talks about this idea of like a crowd wave where you're like yes. in a crowd and somebody starts that wave and you just kind of yeah. join in. There's not a point where you make a decision. You don't really need to feel an emotion about it, but it'd be weird if you didn't do it. So yeah. let's go. So you do it. <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. And like, he also talks about how, oh gosh, I forget. It, it was, it's in and around there, but he's talking about, oh, it's voting. Mm. He's like, people in America don't vote as much as other countries. And again, this is a very American specific thing and neither of us are Americans, so mm. we can't ex exactly talk about it. But he talks about how maybe if it were a day off work, people would vote or if they could vote online and it was like very quick and easy for them to do in the morning before they went to work or whatever, they would vote. Like you have to make it as easy as for people as mm. possible um, especially in a situation like this where I, I don't think he talks about like the American military, for example, which it, it has a giant impact on the environment and is completely out of our control, mm -hmm. right? You and me are not American, so we yeah. can't even vote on legislation that would impact that. But even Americans can't really change like the budgeting for the military. So there's like all of these really big things that are not in our control. And I have, and I will say this, I have read other books about the environment that don't have the impact of meat as high as he does. Mm -hmm. And he even talks about in the end, he's like some places quoted at like 14%, some places quoted at 50%. I think that it's 50 because of these reasons, but it could be lower. But even if it's 14%, like it's still a really big piece of the pie. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not the majority of the pie so like there's all of these other big issues that are governmental and above us and like that basically everyone watching this video if you're still in school switch your major become a lawyer <laughs> change the system with, within the inside <laughs> i think we really in the future we are going to need lawyers and psychiatrists and <laughs> people who make people laugh because yeah god damn it we're going to need a lot of that shit but yeah. um yeah, I think, I think you're right. And I think he has this point in the book about how it's like this percentage of like, oh, but we don't cause climate change. 71% of the climate change is made by 100 companies. But he's like, but those 100 companies are providing products for you. So you are, do you know what I mean? Like it's not- That's a good fact. There's so many like false fact. equivalents there that are like, but, but, and it, but then it's hard because you're right. Because if, if a gov, okay, here's what I'm thinking in my head. Yes. Maybe I'm an optimist. That's the, that's <laughs> the issue here. If a government is in power- and they see that 90% of the population switch to a vegetarian diet within a five year period, mm -hmm. an unprecedented switch 
what the hell they're going to change what their policies are and what they're trying what their focus is because and it might be to do with the military it might be to do with like concrete or whatever because that sends a sign that these people are pissed at what is going on and do you know what I mean? Like it's, there is a symbolic oh, yeah. impact that we can't really measure. If people change their diets, there are other implications of how 100%. governments can act because they're constantly gathering data on what we're doing all of the time. Don't we know yeah. it? Can you hear yeah. me, Apple? Bob from the CSI. CSI? <laughs> CIA. I don't know who your police are. but <laughs> I um, One thing, like I watched this video a while ago about Big Milk. <laughs> and it, that just sounds like a porn name please was, never say that those two words together to me again. It, was a, it was a big conversation about the milk industry mm. in america yeah and in other ways the rest of like the west um it was so fascinating mm. how and it's it's a it's a perfect emblematic like situation for something that happens over and over and over again but basically a long time ago there were all these milk farmers and like they were doing great and so the government was like yeah milk is pretty healthy let's tell the american public that they need a glass of milk a day oh let's tell them we actually need two glasses of milk a day because we have so much milk we need to sell and then you know they went to the war and they came back and the thing it was a great job for people to do so they're like let's subsidize this like let's help the milk farmers out but people don't care about milk anymore and so all of this money goes into like you know the whole got milk campaign yeah what is that like when you think about it (laughs) what is that like i remember um on the back of a kid's magazine when i was a kid spider-man like had the milk mustache and now i'm thinking about this as a 27 year old and i'm like what was that like why is spider-man telling me to drink milk when actually the majority of humans are allergic to milk like we all have a lactose intolerance (laughs) i'm like what's happening right now and i'm like oh it's the government dictating people's diets because they can and they will dependent on what is popular mm. at the time what like is profitable to them what people are lobbying for what yeah. is the the court of public opinion and so like you're saying if enough people become vegetarian become vegan or at least start emphasizing it for more of their meals it will absolutely make an impact that like goes up mm. the chain like you're saying like and we do vote with our dollars. It's so. just so interconnected, isn't it, as well? Because advertising is a motive. Like, advertising isn't based yeah. on facts. They didn't put facts in the adverts. They put Spider-Man. Everybody fucking <laughs> loves Spider-Man. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's yeah. the, the act of eating is inherently a motive. It's not, it's not like, a logical one. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. the same, I guess, with, like, that, those family meals that we talk about and that kind of cultural difference and, and stuff. Because I think one of the things that I find hardest about being vegetarian is turning down food from people that i love because mm. do you know what i mean the, the idea of being like oh sorry mom i can't have that this thing that you've created for me yeah and that symbolizes nourishment and acceptance yes. and giving and and this this, <laughs> this stuff that well actually my mom is quite good about cooking vegetarian stuff now but yeah. um you know like the a lot the idea of going into a family situation and rejecting uh, something warm that somebody has made you that symbolizes belonging and like you know there's there's so much stuff around boundaries and like oh there's just so much to unpack there and i I think like you just can't talk about food in isolation like it has to be linked to everything else you're totally right and i find it like 
when I was first going vegetarian, I my rule was I am only going to buy vegetarian food for myself Mm -hmm. and I'm only going to buy vegetarian food at restaurants. Yeah. So like those were two rules that were actually such an easy transition Yeah. because, because exactly like you're saying, it was very devoid of all of that, like family tradition and family relationships. Like it was just like, I'm at the grocery store. I'm just going to buy myself not, cheese Mm -hmm. or whatever like i'm at a restaurant eating with my friends they don't care if i eat meat right like they don't care what i'm gonna yeah no it's not their plate they don't care what i'm paying for at this decision so it that was a really easy way to transition into it (laughs) top tip (laughs) it's like being like being a wallet vegan or something (laughs) oh my 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 money doesn't go towards it like yes yeah yeah, there's gotta be like loads of different categories that's a really interesting... Is that a thing or did you just make that I up? just made it up. Oh it's probably God. a thing. Nothing's original <laughs> in this world. But there's like... So like wallet vegan. There's the like um, breakfast and lunch vegan. A brunch vegan. Yeah. Brunch <laughs> vegans. <laughs> there's people who... So something I talked about in another video and then some people in the Gumption Club are actually talking about doing it is like sharing being vegan with somebody. So shift vegans. So like oh, I'll be a vegan yes. on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You can be a vegan on Thursday. And we'll, be- between us, we'll be a vegan. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I love that. We need to have a little, little like pie chart or like some kind of pick your vegan <laughs> style. I just... That made me think about another... Uh, I... I <laughs> It wasn't my favorite book, but I did enjoy the book. Like, I did yeah. take a lot out of it. I hope okay. that that's coming out in the video. My ego um, isn't hurt at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, one thing I did write down was, like, I sort of wish this had been a cookbook. Mm. I don't know if that's a oh really weird thing to say. But, you know, like... there. It's like there's a lot of different cookbooks out there. There are literal just like every page is a recipe books. But then there's also more like memoir cookbooks where it's like my relationship mm. with food and what how I learned this recipe and yeah. now here it is how you cook it, right? I was like maybe it was too ambitious of a crossover, but if Jonathan Saffron Fower had been able to make like a literary fiction memoir cookbook <laughs> I think I would have actually liked that more because obviously his main point is just eat vegetables. Just eat vegetables, plant-based. Yeah. Go plant-based. And I'm like, what are you eating? Like, I was (laughs) really curious. I was really curious. Like, I bet you've got some really cool recipes. And like, have you been able to adapt any of your grandmother's Jewish recipes into vegetarian recipes? And like, I was like getting hungry, but I not knowing what to cook. Yeah. A classic conundrum for people who are becoming vegetarians or vegans. I'm like, help them out. Tell them some recipes. I thought that would have been cool. I don't know if that's weird. <laughs> we can definitely pitch it to him. I'll talk, I'll talk okay, to his I'll people. I'll be like, can somebody get me Jonathan on the phone? We've got an amazing idea. <laughs> and, okay, also, Eating Animals is a documentary, right? Yeah, yeah, which, again, I haven't, haven't watched. I haven't seen that either, so that might be, if people are scared to read the book just watch the two-hour documentary and it's, I'm, it's I'm, done and over I'm, with i'm quickly realizing that i am doing uh the thing where you create a medicine that you in fact need yourself because <laughs> this is what this series is it's like i'm making yeah. this because i need it but the same yeah. with like um the you know the film um don't look up yes oh i, I love that movie oh i haven't watched it because of that and everyone's like lena you talk about climate change on the internet. This is an inter- you love all the actors in this. Look, everybody's in it. it. Meryl Streep's in it, isn't she? Yeah, Meryl she Stre- sucks. <laughs> oh. 
No, like um, she was well acted, just the character sucks. Oh, but um, the recipe means that I should love this, and I still haven't even react reactivated my Netflix account to to watch it because I because like I'm like I don't want to not today. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, you know, it's very interesting because it came out on the 24th. I watched it on the 25th on mm. Christmas. They should not have released that movie as a kind of a Christmas film because it was so, so stressful. Yeah. And it's largely like, obviously, it is a big metaphor for climate change. And it's like, you idiots, you, like humans, we eat too much. We buy too much. And you're like on Christmas, the kind of the one day of the year where you definitely do eat too much and you do buy too much. And you're like, could you have given this to me like in January? Yeah, you when have to I'm think like, about the human psychology of when people are most receptive to receive an idea because I feel like Christmas. Because it was not the most receptive. And like so many of the reviews are extremely negative mm. and like people hating on this film. And they're like, why are you guilting us? Yeah. And I was like, no one mentions Christmas, but I'm like, I think it's because it came out the week of Christmas. People but it also like, doesn't mention climate change, right? It's just about a meteor. It's about a meteor, but it's yeah. It doesn't specifically mention, but it's like, it's so obvious. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, as you might be able to tell, when me and Ariel usually have conversations, they last, and this is not a metaphor, four hours. <laughs> four hours. So we, I don't think me. we've ever had a three hour conversation. Never, never happened. Um, <laughs> so I am with a with a heavy heart going to have to wrap this up a little bit. But if, yeah. I think um, when I was like pulling out quotes and stuff and stuff, I call, he talks about how the problem with climate change is, is that it's it's a sticky subject, as in like it's awkward, but it's not a sticky, it doesn't stick with people. It's not a sticky subject in mm. that things don't stay with it. But but one thing I think, like when I was reflecting on this and rereading it, something that I think has stayed with me that isn't in the book, but it's just a slogan in my head is like, you don't have to wait for it to click. Like, mm. I feel like this book did help things click for me, but also one yeah. of the messages is like, you don't have to wait to feel anything to, to do something. And you probably, you may never feel yeah. anything and there's two yeah. quotes that i wanted to pull out one was like a bit more this is the school teacher side of it but i, I needed to hear it jonathan <laughs> but it might if it hurts um you are entirely capable of doing things you aren't moved to do and refraining from things that you want to do that doesn't make you gandhi it just makes you an adult <laughs> which I was like, <laughs> oh god but it's true there's loads of stuff i refrain from doing every day like i don't know punching strangers in supermarkets <laughs> who are rude to me. Like, I know that's not yes. acceptable. I don't believe in it, so I'm not going to do it. But the right. urge is still there. Um, right. And then also this other um, quote was that saving ourselves will require collective action and acting collectively will change us. Especially if we change, not because we're inspired to, not because we see the light, but rather because sensing and approaching dark, we we come ourselves to act on knowledge that we cannot believe. Mm. So this idea of like waiting to see the light or waiting to feel like it's time for us to become vegan or like it's time for us to like do something is totally. it's never going to happen. And I think I think work. maybe those like don't look up and stuff is chasing that feeling for people and being like, I want them to feel this. Mm. And sometimes you've got to take yourself by the reins and be like, Lena, put it down. <laughs> you know, you know what yeah. I mean? Like so many like um kind of like behaviors that I think we've grown up with that are like kind of like. Um, self-destructive I just have to be like no Lena like you can't do that anymore it's not good we're, thir yeah. we're 30 now <laughs> you know and I think I had that conversation with myself about me where I was like it doesn't matter what you feel I am I the adult part of your brain is making a decision for the child yeah. part of your brain and like yeah. parenting yourself and being like yeah uh. but I think also the idea of like I feel like most humans 
some some days it feels like most humans are so incapable of collective action me included <laughs> so this idea that it's like let's go rally together and we're gonna be activists it's gonna be amazing like it feels so inescapably silly when i look at most people <laughs> me I'm included really, i'm glad you brought but, that up because when i first bought this book five years ago or whatever um three years ago when i i started reading it and i was loving like the first chapter is for me, my favorite section of the book. Like he talks about, and it's a classic metaphor and people make it for the pandemic as well, but like looking at collective action during World War II mm. and the amount of sacrifice that people had to make in order to, I like the last hope, very, very hopeful, help their soldiers that had gone abroad, right? Yeah. And he's talking from the American perspective. Um, if, Okay, so when I first read that three years or four years ago, I was like so inspired and I was like, wow, I can't wait to read this book. And partly that's probably why I didn't read it. I was like, ah, oh, it's so good. I have to read it at the perfect moment, which is a curse. But when I read it this time, I also really loved that chapter and I found it really interesting. But it's all been tainted by COVID for me. And I'm like, are we? capable of collective action i'm not too sure because like people won't wear the masks and people won't get vaccinated but that's like really dooms the doomsday thinking because in fact i mean i'll just speak about in canada over 90 percent of people are vaccinated right like the vast 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 majority of people do wear their masks i have never been in a shop in canada i've never been in a shop where somebody had to ask somebody to put their mask on like people do it they put their masks on it's a different in the uk but they put their masks on here so i'm like maybe i shouldn't be that worried about it i don't know like i'm glad you brought it up because it is difficult to like feel like we and exactly like you're saying so therefore because it is difficult to always embrace collective change and feel that hopeful we can't just wait for the hope to hit this is also like a piece of advice i've heard for artists it's like you can't only create on the days when you feel inspired because those days are so rare and oftentimes aren't even as productive as you would hope they would be. So you've got to just show up every day anyways. Yeah, so I think you're right. And I think this line in it that says, acting collectively will change us. It's that thing of like, once you actually start acting on it, maybe we will start feeling like we're more together. And yeah. with the coronavirus stuff and versus the war thing, what was really interesting was learning that there like were Nazi deniers. Like there were people who were like, I'm not oh, gonna yeah. participate in the blackout. Like I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, I'm oh, I'm yeah. I'm gonna refuse to participate in save like collective yeah. saving ourselves. <laughs> So I think we romanticize that a bit. Well, that's what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty easy to romanticize the past and be like, oh, God, in the past we were heroes and everyone worked together. And I'm like, no, no, that's yeah. literally impossible. So there was never a time when we all agreed on something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I think it's that, that thing of like, sometimes you just got to save the people that don't want to be saved. And sometimes you've still got to like hope that the percentage is high enough that it, it will work. But I don't think the existence of those people should negate like our own our own um, conduct. Now I'm sounding like a headmistress. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, like I think just because other people wear, aren't wearing a mask doesn't mean that I'm not going to because right. I, I right. recognize that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all. Anyway. 
I think one thing I will say that gives me hope mm -hmm. is that I am proud of some of the changes I've made in my life, right? And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, <laughs> I've figured it out. No, there's loads of things I haven't figured out yet. But I am proud of the progress I've made in my personal life. And the thing that does give me hope about that is, and that I want to relate to everyone watching, is that most of them were one-time decisions. Mm. So like... Me deciding not to buy clothing that is fast fashion, and so I haven't in five or six years, it was just, a, I just made the decision. I was like, okay, I don't do that anymore. And I was like, I don't have to think about that. It was a decision, yeah. right? And like becoming a vegetarian was just a decision. And I was like, okay, cool. And like there are exceptions, and especially like I just mentioned during the pandemic, it got a lot messier. And I'm like trying to, I'm constantly trying to get back on the train. But like, okay, here's a perfect example milk <laughs> apparently i'm anti-milk i don't drink milk i only drink oat milk same easy decision i made and it completely cut out that one area of dairy right i was like no i don't think about milk anymore that is a decision i've solved I've broken up and with now, it i've deleted his no, name like, from my phone <laughs> it's done <laughs> i blocked him when i bought this house a year ago i moved into it knowing that there were certain renovations that were going to be have to be made and that they were going to take a certain amount of time because of the cost. One of the problems with this house is that it runs on oil heat. So my heating is oil-based. Literally, perhaps the worst way that I could heat a house, um, like environmental lens-wise, right? I'm not feeling guilt about it because I know I'm going to change it in the next one to two years and I'm going to upgrade to a heat pump, which is what we all should do. Invest in a heat pump they're expensive but it's good but my point is that like it's a decision mm. right it's like a one-time decision you put up the cost and i'm not saying that you can just do it haha so easily just save up for a year no like maybe you'll have to save up for longer but like once you've made the decision you just do it and then you don't have to think about it anymore. yeah do you know what i, I think mean? Like, like there are elements of a it. real tension between people who feel like the identity of it and like the strict rules is what's stopping them but then for other mm. people i think that's what frees them and like you're saying like i think i cut down meat a lot but i got decision fatigue i was like how many times have i eaten meat this week i can't count i'm trying right. to count down like what is this meal gonna be worth it for me like and just the yeah. decision fatigue actually made it easier for me to just be like not eating meat ever again like yeah. and, and, but i think it's like always personal like it it depends on who you are and how your brain works and what point you're at but i think you're right yeah. it's like once instead of it becoming an identity it's just like a permanent choice that you're like this is yes. just this is the this is the ruling this is the this is the pattern my life's gonna take and it doesn't need it's to sort be sort of like i it's like setting up defaults yeah on your computer or whatever you're like yeah default when i turn this on open spotify okay yeah we're gonna <laughs> watch that want. i'll run it but like there's certain defaults like and a lot of them aren't like decisions I made. But for example, I've noticed a trend that like if I don't know what color to buy of an item, I buy it in pink and everything works out. I'm like, great. That's like kind of a default I've set up. Well, default is I do oat milk. And if you don't have oat, I'll do almond. And if you don't have almond, I don't need milk. Thank you. That's fine. You got a little like, flow okay. chart for your life going on. <laughs> without this situation. So setting up those defaults, though, I think also what you've, you've mentioned about identity is really important. Hmm. I don't, <laughs> this is probably going to get me in trouble, but I don't 
put like climate change activist in my bio mm. or like I don't li label myself as a vegetarian because there's too much pressure. Yeah. It's just too much. You don't need to give yourself that much pressure. You're allowed to like be a vegetarian some of the time and also not some of the time and do these things sometimes and not sometimes. And so I think you're right. Like by trying to put a whole identity on it, it does create so much pressure because then if you mess up just once, you've messed up the whole identity. Yeah. So and then who are you identify. without it? And like, yeah, you're right. I identify as trying my best, <laughs> <laughs> and you're pulling it off so well. Um, on that note, we have to end it. On that note, end it. I think that's a nice way to just, just end it. Um, take its head off. Thank you so much for chatting to me about this. And I think that's what's cool. Even when you read a book together and you feel differently about it, you end up having really interesting conversations that you wouldn't Definitely. have had otherwise. And because Definitely. humans are so bumbling and ridiculous and chaotic, sometimes we need to like have a prompt and <laughs> to be like, I want yeah. to talk to you about this thing, but I don't know how. Like, let's get into it through a book. Um, so thank you so much for doing that with me today. Thank you for having me, Lena. I'm always so grateful to be on your channel. I love your videos. I love this series. Everyone subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> and you should also subscribe to Ariel because I want to see that pump when it comes in. I want to see <laughs> I'm That's what I'm subscribed for. I'm just waiting for the pump video. Yeah. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. Um, next month, we are going to be reading consumed by Aja Barber uh, and the guest is going to be Ash Tanya who I love and I've already like ranted Ooh, about on this channel and been like cool. her channel's amazing so Ash Tanya is going to be with us next month so if you do want to read with us you can but this is not a reading club and you can just join in without having read it that's totally fine um I don't have anything else to say but that's probably for the best isn't it <laughs> yeah we nailed it we finally ran out of things to say rare <laughs> i mean i haven't but i have to <laughs> to be clear must. there's more in the time we have had to reset our memory cards like four oh times God, because we keep having more things to say <laughs> um thank you so much for watching there are more videos about the climate here if you fancy watching that but if you don't here are some videos about something completely different <laughs> frogs log out <laughs>